Amen. Fantastic. Please have a seat. Thanks, band. You guys are amazing. Can we put our hands together for the band? How great are they tonight? Thank you so much. Great honor to be here. Silverwater Campus, C3 Church, absolutely phenomenal. We've been here, me and my wife, Nadi, been here since um, Friday. We've been involved with, the, uh, with C3, speaking at youth. Uh, we did Saturday night church last night and uh, this morning getting a presence prelude warm-up. In fact, you were on the link, weren't you, this morning with Pastor Stephen Furtick preaching and Israel Houghton. Oh, I think Israel has got to be the best praise and worship leader on the planet, and, uh, which was fantastic. And we had lunch today and I, um, we were at Garfish on, in Manly um, and we ordered fish. And there was Australian fish, barramundi, also New Zealand fish, tarakihi and trevally on the menu. And I was like, I'll get the tarakihi. Uh, and the New Zealand fish, and, and Stephen Furtick said, I'll get what, he, what he's getting, he's confident, and then when it came out, he said, um, Pastor John Cameron, my pastor, he said, John's invited me to speak at a RISE conference, but I've never been able to make it. He said, if this fish is good, I'll come. If it's not good, you tell him I won't come. And, uh, and I confidently said, you'll, you'll love the fish. It's not fishy fish. Does that make sense to you? You know, you get some fish... You know, some cod is, is fishy, smells fishy, but then you get some fish, uh, it's not so fishy. And, uh, and he loves it, so I'm going to hold him to his word. And, uh, but, but thanks for having us here tonight. If you've got a Bible, grab it out. Book of John, chapter 11, verse number 38. And uh, I think it might come up. If it doesn't, let me read it to you. No doubt you've got your Bibles with you because we're all Christians. Amen. If you don't have your Bible, turn to, a, to your nearest Christian and, uh, and say, hey, can I borrow yours? The Bible says this, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let me say that again. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go him go. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Bible. We thank you that you've written a book for us, a, a handbook for life, a manual that we can understand who you are. Everything we need to know about you is in this book. We pray tonight as we come around it, God, that you would speak by revelation. Speak to your people tonight, we pray. On the eve of Presence Conference, on the eve of, of our Passover festival, our annual gathering, where we can go and hear from you and receive impartation, and receive moments that create momentum in our lives. We pray that tonight, like Pastor Nat said, that we wouldn't take for granted this moment as we come together, come around your word, as we come into your presence. Speak tonight, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Uh, we're talking tonight, uh, if you take your notes, in fact, you can write down the title of the sermon. It's going to help you understand what we're talking about. I want to talk to you tonight about the stone and the clothes. The stone and the clothes. I love this passage because we're talking about a guy whose name is Lazarus. And after the story, we understand the name Lazarus, it has meaning. Before the story, the, the name Lazarus, if we had said you know, many 
maybe maybe two and a half thousand years ago, if we were having a conversation, maybe over Twitter, Snapchat, and we started talking about Lazarus, it would have just been another name. But if we have that same conversation today, we understand that the name Lazarus, it has great power and great meaning. Lazarus was the man who came back from the, t- from the, from the grave, from the tomb. In fact, uh, just, to, just as a bit of, I don't know, look, rugby league trivia, if I can, if would, you, would, you, would, you, would you allow me? Glenn Lazarus, the great rugby league prop here in Australia, is the only Australian rugby league player, in fact, the only rugby league player in the world to win a championship with three rugby league clubs at last name Lazarus. Uh, the great war horse is what they called him. In fact, his son, whose name, last name was Lazarus, like his father, he had a tattoo on his chest that said, Lazarus will rise again, believing that he could have a great history rugby league career like his father. In fact, Nadu and I, and by the way, Pastor Nat, wonderful pronunciation of Mika. It's not often that people get that right the first time, because when they read it, they read Micah, but it doesn't have an H, it's Mika, it's Japanese. We're not Japanese, but the name is. It means beautiful fragrance. How good is that? It is, it is beautiful, just that. And, uh, and, and Ryder, when our, our son Ryder was born, he's six years old, he was in the neonatal unit, Wellington Hospital, had some health complications as a young man. I'll maybe touch on that as the, as the message goes on. When he was in the neonatal unit, born prematurely, Wellington Hospital, one of the things about hospitals you understand is that they have great medical staff, great procedures, great equipment, but sometimes the waiting room can, can leave a little bit to be desired. And I was in the waiting room, I think Nadi was in with Ryder, and I remember sitting there with my bad cup of tea, and talking with a young man, and this, this young man might have been 17, maybe, maybe 18 years old. And I said, I said, oh, you know what, what brings you here? He said, well, my daughter was born premature. He, he said, she's so small, I can hold her in one hand. It's touch and go as to whether she'll survive, but we're really believing that everything's going to be okay. I said, man, I'd love to pray with you. What's your name? And he said, my name is Lazarus. And I said, Lazarus, I think everything's going to be okay. And two or three weeks later, he was out of hospital. His daughter was out. Everything was fine a new lease of life, and she was fit and healthy. And ironically enough, uh, several months later, I read in the newspaper that this young man whose name was Lazarus had signed a rugby league contract for the junior Melbourne Storm, a cheating, cheating um, club, I know. I know it would have been better if he'd signed, you know, maybe for... Who do you support? Manly? Parramatta? And some Penrith fans? And some Warriors fans out there, no doubt. But, you know, anyone but Melbourne Storm. But he signed for the Melbourne Storm and... Uh, and this name Lazarus, it has, it has great power. It's a name that rings a bell when we hear it, about the power of God to bring back dead things back to life. And the other thing about the story is we, we read about a cave. In fact, Lazarus was in this cave. He had died, did four days, and was in a cave. and had a, a stone rolled across to make the cave a tomb. I don't know if you have caves locally. Where we live, there are a few caves in Wellington. I first stumbled upon my first cave when I was about 12 years old. I had a pamphlet run. You know, now what's your local rag here in Silverwater, the local newspaper? Yeah, so that, that's, that's a quality newspaper? Yeah, nothing. What's the, what's the main newspaper in Sydney? The Sydney Herald, Sydney, Sydney Morning Herald. So you get the Sydney Morning Herald, it has weight. It is actually physically quite heavy. It's got many pages and you would read it, start at the front, maybe start at the back, sports page. And then there's another form of, 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 of newspaper, that's the junk mail. No one wants the junk mail. In fact, most people write expletives on their letterbox to tell you how much they don't want the mail that you're there to deliver. One thing I found as a young man is that when you had a paper run, you were very much like kind of, that was esteemed, an esteemed role to deliver the paper, the Sydney Morning Herald. But to deliver the Coles or the Target 
or, or for us the warehouse junk mail was not so much held in great esteem. You were paid less. You were given more to deliver. It was a harder job and you were given less you know, financial recompense for your hard work. So what I did was I, I found a cave and I would throw the pamphlets into the cave because I realized no one was checking. No one, was, no one was chasing me up, and no one wanted the newspapers that I had to deliver. So not only did the people not care, no one chased me up, and I got paid all the same. This was all before I met Jesus. Once I met Jesus, I tithed on my hustle. No, I'm just kidding. I stopped. I gave it up straight away. I got a real job. But, you know, caves. We've got Lazarus here. We've got, we've got, we've got a cave. Caves uh, right through the Bible. David, the Bible says, builds an army of men, of 400 men, from a cave. I don't know if you've ever, you know, been in a cave with 400 men without plumbing or air conditioning or fresh air. But he, he, he established from this cave a, a, a place where he could disciple and sow into lives and, and grew from this cave giant slayers, men of great renown that would walk into the battlefield and, and win great battles for our God. From this cave, there, there are caves right throughout the Bible. The story, though, that we read is about, is about Lazarus. There's a cave there for sure, but it's a story about Jesus. There's also two sisters in the story. There are kind of four main characters. And if we can, I'd like to spend some time to talk with you about these main characters. I titled the message, The Stone and the Clothes. The stone speaks of God's miracle-working power. The stone was laid across the tomb. Laid across the cave and Jesus said, roll away the stone. See, in a moment, Jesus can turn up in your life and make a difference. He can, he can turn your life around. He can say one word. He can speak one thing. He can utter one thing in your life that will change you forever. Then there are the clothes. You see, Lazarus comes out of the tomb, comes back to life. He walks out from the tomb and the first thing that Jesus says is not hello. It's not how are you. It's not you look good. It's not, have a shower. The first thing he says is, take off the clothes that he wears and then let him go. And the first statement that he makes is about what he is wearing. God is concerned about what you wear. He's concerned about what you put on. He's concerned about your attitudes, about your daily decisions. You see, this, the thing is this, he came back to life. What Jesus is saying is, what he's wearing, he wore when he was dead. He now can't wear those things now that he's got life again. You know, you can't, I can't bring you into light and you wear those things that you wore in the darkness. I, I can't have you walk in a new life with me and carry the same habits and attitudes and make the same decisions that you used to make because if you do, you'll end back up in the cave again. So now that you're out, change everything that you're wearing. Change those things that you've put on. You know, every morning we, we have these kids, I've mentioned a couple of times already, and every, every morning we do three things. Most families do these things. Kids wake up, they brush their teeth, have breakfast, you know, just orders. It's not really important when you have kids. And they put on clothes. Normally clothes comes first. You can get away with not doing two or three of those things. You know, you can, you can get away when life is busy without feeding your kids. Not that I would try that or not that we've ever done that. But, you know, if you're really in a rush, you can just, just jam a muesli bar in their mouth and then just hit the road. You know, not that I would do that or I'm advocating for that here in Silverwater. But I'm saying that people do that. They tell me about it. You can get away with not having your kids brush their teeth. Not that I've done this or I'm advocating that you don't get your kids to brush their teeth, but if you don't, it's not the end of the world. But you cannot, you cannot leave your house without clothing your kids. 
That's where they have the police. They would send my kids back to my house. They would ring me. They would find me and say, Levi, your kids are naked. You, you know, I, oh, no, it's okay, but at least they had breakfast. At least they brushed their teeth. <laughs> so, Levi, it doesn't matter. You, you don't have to feed your kids as long as you put clothes on your kids before they go. In other words, what you wear, what you put on, sometimes is more important than what you feed yourself, more important than making yourself have fresh-smelling breath. The decisions that we make every day in regards to our attitude, our outlook on life, are hugely important in our walk with God. You see, the miracle-working power is in the stone, but, but the continued outworking of the cross in our lives is seen in the clothes. Now, I want to talk to you this, this evening about Lazarus. Lazarus, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, in fact, how good was Stephen Furtick? He had some great phrases this morning. I wrote down his phrases. You know, sometimes when you listen to preaching, you write down the preaching notes, and then you write down other things that are, you're observing about, you know. Don't do this with me, by the way. And if it's good, you can write it down. But he, he said, he said, there are some phrases I'll urge you to record. Ah, this guy, hey. That's why he's preaching at the conference. But Lazarus, if you, I want to talk to you about Lazarus. Lazarus had ears to hear. If you're going to put something on every day, put on ears to hear. My mum used to say to me, Levi, you have two ears and one mouth. And I, and I, would, and I would be like, what, do you, what, what, do you, what does that mean, mum? What does that mean? What are you trying to tell me? Don't stop speaking in cliches. Stop speaking in metaphors. Speak to me literally. She says, well, literally you do have two ears and one mouth. So you should listen twice as much as you talk. In other words, shut up. Give me an hour of listening means you can talk for half an hour. But don't, don't talk for several hours and not listen to anything that anybody has to say. You have two ears and one mouth. Ears to hear. We, we, we need to be people that are listening to what God is saying. How often have you talked to someone or had someone talk to you and you say, or they say to you this phrase, man, I really feel like God spoke to me in the shower. You don't have to nod your head, put your hand up. You're going to send your heart and go, yeah, no, I've, I've had that a few times. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me tell you why, let me tell you why that is. Because in the shower is the only place where you are alone and have no smartphones. It's the only place God can speak to you because it's the only place where you are totally available to listen to him. You, you, are, you are sometimes singing. <laughs> You've heard them sing too. <laughs> but but, but when, you are, when you are free to hear what God is saying. We were on holiday recently and we had uh, our two children and, and I think there might have been, I counted nine, there might have been seven other children from our extended family on this particular holiday and, and the mums and dads were together and the kids were upstairs. And when the kids, all, all of them I think under the age of eight, are upstairs, and there's raucous sort of action. That's okay, because you know everyone's safe. They're alive. They're cool. Nothing's broken. You get that feeling like things are all right. But when it, when, when it peters out and it gets very silent, you know that there's death in the air. All of a sudden, the kid starts to cry. And I look, and I look at the mums. Now, I believe that fathers have an absolutely vital part to play in the family. But when there's a crying child, I'm looking to Nadia for guidance. I'm looking to her for, should I, shouldn't I go? You tell me I'm gone, but if you're going to stay, I'll stay. I don't want to get too frantic, make people freak out, but if you not, if you say go, I'm gone. And so I'm sitting there, and the mums, are, the mums do not stop talking. They just continue to just, just I call it bitty, bitty. Because sometimes that's all you hear as a man when women are talking is, bitty, 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 bitty. That's all you hear. And sometimes with more caffeine, it goes to turbo, bitty, bitty. Bitty, 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 bitty. 
We'll get that at Prisons Conference this week, no doubt. A lot of bitty biddies. And, and, and the cup of teas are going and the bitty biddies rolling. And I'm there and, and this kid keeps crying. I said, look. And, 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 and one mum stands up after a few moments and walks out, comes back, and she says these words. She says, yeah, just like I thought, stub toe. And sat back down. And I, was, and I couldn't concentrate on anything after that. Just as I thought, what do you mean? You heard a cry and then you were right in your assumption that they had a stub toe. And so that night I said, Nadia, what's the story with, with you? What's the story with you mums? What's this maternal instinct all about? What's, what is going to teach me the ways? And she says, oh, I can't teach you. You're born with this instinct. I said, I want it so bad. And she says, Levi, with the, with the tilt with my left ear, I can, I can decipher if it's my child or not. I can tell you if it's Ryder. I can tell you if it's Mika. And, and with, the, with, the, with the other ear, I can tell you how, the level of pain they're in and, how much, and what that pain associates to. She would, she would say this. She would say, Levi, when, someone, when a kid does something, slams their finger in the door, stubs their toe, grazes their knee, the longer the pause from the first cry is the amount of pain that they are truly in. Because some kids, they... And then they take another breath. And then they, they go... And, and you know it's about to go down after they've inhaled all of that breath. That, that, that the, the atomic bomb of, of tears... It's about to go off in this place. She says, I can tell. And, and, I, and, I, just, and I remember just, just, just laughing and just trying to just figure out how you tell. She went to sleep. I remember praying. Just praying, saying, God, you know. And then actually before she went to sleep, she said, Levi, you're a great father. You're involved in the lives of our kids. But, but it's different from me. I carried them for nine months each. When they were born, I took maternity leave. Every minute of every day. When you were at work, I was at home. When I went back to work, we would leave the office straight away so that I could get home, see the kids, see how they are. She said, we do this life together, but there's something about a relationship between a mum and the kids. Leave after all of these years, I've attuned my ear to their cry. I could tell you the idiosyncrasies of the tone of their voice. I went to sleep and I thought, God, you know, I just... I pray that I could have that with you. I pray that I could have that sense like I don't just hear you speak, I can hear the tone with your voice. I, I don't just hear you speak, I can hear the urgency in what you're trying to say to me. Well, we, we, had, we, we, don't, we don't have a church auditorium like this beautiful auditorium that it is at Arise in Wellington. We pack in and out of venues every week. The guys wake up at 3.30, 4 a.m., they get to the church venue at 5 a.m. They pack in. We do the same for youth on a Friday night. And so at the end of one night, we have a pastor who does the pack down with the volunteers. And one night I was on, and we had a large venue, a large arena. In fact, we had C3 band come with us. And then we had, we had Jürgen, the C3 band, and Pastor Phil in the space of four weeks at Arise at the end of last year. It was a C3 takeover. We absolutely loved it. And, uh, and at this one particular venue where the C3 band played, Danny Karotz and the team came down. We, um, I was on pack down that night. And, uh, and it's a great honor to be there. And just, just, you know, like literally, everything that you see here on stage, we would pack it down. We'd lower the, 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 the PA. We have a line array much like this. We'd lower it down, pack it up, individual store cases, put them in the truck. And, uh, and, and I slacked off that night. Look, if I, look, a problem shared is a problem halved. That's what they say. So let me just bring a level of repentance with you tonight. Let's talk about this openly. I, I, I slacked off. It was in a basketball arena. Basketball's my favorite sport. I could play basketball for hours. In fact, sometimes I do. 
sometimes if I, if I, Natty's laughing, if I, if, if we, if we, if I, Natty, would you mind if I, he, she, she kicks me out, go. I'll take that and milk it for all it's worth. Sometimes I'll get home at midnight, just, just, just drenched, drenched through from playing basketball for several hours. And so I snuck off and I played basketball at the back where they had the hoops stored. I said to some of the boys, so I, took, I took volunteers from the pack down to play basketball with me. I, I didn't think much of it. Got home that night, had a shower, went to sleep, and I felt God sting me real good. It kind of just, I felt like God kind of just, just, just say, hey, hey, are you awake? <laughs> I said, yes, sir, I am now. And he said, that was a bit of a waste of time, wasn't it? I said, yeah, I suppose it was. I felt like God say, Levi, if you're going to be in the room, add value. Don't, if you're going to be in the room, be, be in the room. If you're going to be in the room, be, be all there. You know, when you meet with somebody and they're, they're physically there, but they're on their phone, you know. I feel bad. You know, I love Brian so much. I met Brian here with Cullen on the front row. Incredible, incredible man of God. Been looking after us this week. And he sees the best and worst of us. He sees the best in the morning when we're caffeinated, ready to go to church. And he sees the worst in the afternoon when we're like tired as sleeping in the car, going back to the hotel to get ready to come back here tonight for, for the second win. And sometimes I'll be sitting there, he'll be talking, I'll be scrolling through Instagram or on the NBA Game Time app. And he's cool, he's just kind of chill. We're relaxed about it. But if I was going to have an opportunity to meet one-on-one, we're going to grab a coffee, let's go and spend some time together, I certainly would be leaving that attitude aside to say that I'm all in with whoever I'm with but it's the same with our relationship with God. That we'd be all in with God. If we're in the room, be in the room. And when he speaks, we understand, God, what are you trying to say to us? Reinhard Bonnke, incredible, incredible. I've seen the presence promotion and, and, and also the Harborside car parking promotion four times now since I've been here this weekend. But I haven't, I haven't seen that one with, with, with evangelist Daniel Kalender, is his name. And, and to, to, to see and to, to hear, I mean, it's just, just it's, unbelievable what these evangelists are able to achieve. Reinhard Bonnke is quoted in his book in saying that he believes he was the fifth person that God spoke to specifically to go to Africa, to believe for the nation to be saved. I remember thinking about the, uh, the, 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 the four before him. You know what? What was wrong with these guys? Full of sin, no doubt. That's what I thought. So they backslidden, walked away from God. You know, they're just, just rotten people, probably. We saw them on the street. We wouldn't think much. Then I remember God, again, just pressed me a little bit. Is it really, that's what you think? And I was like, well, well, what do you think, you know? I felt like God said to me, you know, maybe they just weren't listening. Maybe they just, maybe they weren't like Nadia. That they weren't used to hearing a particular voice that when he spoke, they, they listened up. Maybe their life was just busy. Maybe they were good people and maybe Reinhard on this particular day was in the shower and had put aside every distraction in his life and maybe he heard and responded I think about Abraham God spoke to Abraham said Abraham you got to go to the mountain I'll show you you know you get people that give you really specific advice or really vague advice you know those people you know some people are okay how do you get to you know like we're driving here you know from where do we come from 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 Darling Harbour to Silverwater but this morning we're in Manly so we went from Darling Harbour and we went north, and then back, and then we went west, and then we'll go back. And so, you know, Brian's, Brian's got it all sorted, but, if it, but, but I don't know, it all looks the same. The only thing I know is like, bridge, or oh, he's a different bridge, you know, like, <laughs> opera house. You know, these are landmarks that I have. 
and, and you know, you might stop and say, hey, I'm trying to get the Silverwater C3 church. Okay, cool. Then they give you really specific. Second left, big brown church, turn right, by the tree, see the coals, don't go down there. You know, and, and it's too specific. And as they're saying it, you feel the weight of their expectation of their advice about how you're supposed to get there, and you get lost. Then you have God. Yeah, I'll show you on the way. See, too many facts means that it's devoid of faith. Too few facts means all you have is faith. So so he says, Abraham, he says, Abraham is that way. And Abraham goes, this way? (laughs) You know, like God's, God's pretty quiet on it. So he goes, well, it feels right. You know, it feels like, and, and the Bible says if you, if you take a step, a voice will come from behind you. And we say, go to the left or to the right. If the voice comes from behind you and you're not moving in your faith and you go to the left or to the right, you haven't really moved anywhere. But you know what, man, I tell you what, being a New Zealander and, and certainly in Australia with lots of Kiwis and lots of, lots of Pacific Island nations in our nations, you know, the difference between New Zealand and Samoa in the language and history and custom of the people is only like, like I could count to you right now to 10 in Māori, and I could probably try and count to 10 in Samoan, and they would be very, very, they would sound very similar. Some people in the room would, would think that he's speaking the same language. But really, because of a, a, maybe a two-degree shift on the way that this boat left a particular place, they ended up on a different island and are now a different people group. You see, a little shift here, as you take a step, a little, a little shift there can end you up in a completely different place to where you began or where you might have ended up. Abraham had the greatest example, I believe, and, and, it's a, and he's the father of faith, of on-the-job training. Don't you love on-the-job training? One time we were building a deck. Do you build decks? I say that very carefully here. <laughs> And we're, we're, we're building a deck, and we had volunteer like guys helping us build this deck for this particular person. And so no one on the job was paid. Everyone was helping out. In New Zealand, we love to do renovations. You know, do it yourself, DIY. We like to build fences and decks, and we like to renovate our bathrooms. That's pretty much what New Zealand men get up to on Saturdays. And this foreman on the job, I call him a foreman. They use that term loosely, but he kicked the volunteer off the job. Like he kicked him off the job. He's like, hey, man, that's cool. Thanks for coming. Hey, don't come back tomorrow. <laughs> this guy's like a young guy. He's like got his like, tool belt. He's like helping out. And he was actually a qualified builder. But he had such a big mouth that he got kicked off the job. <laughs> you know, on-the-job training can be like that. Sink or swim. You better get it right, you know. With God, it's like, here, here's our Christian, here's our Christian faith. Look, here's a Bible. Here's a church. Here's the Holy Spirit. Boom. Let's go. <laughs> You're kind of like, okay, all right, all right, okay. Okay, what's next? And God can be quiet after he gives you an initial nudge. But our job is to make sure that every time he does speak, that we can hear him. That is, get, get all the white noise out of your life. You know, clear, 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 clear it all out. Too much, too much TV, too many movies, too much whatever. Too many different voices in you. Who knows what it is in your life? And clear it out. Clear out some space. How good is spring cleaning? It's not good while you're doing it, you know. But when it's done... Oh, you feel the space. Sometimes I get home after I've been away. It's great to have Nadia for us to be doing this trip together. But sometimes if I'm away and I come home, the house has changed. You know? And I'll be like, whoa, the house looks so different. What did you do? Did you paint, you know, everything? 
She says, no, just move the couch. I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> so much space. Everything has changed now that you've decluttered. You've moved a few things around. In our lives, let it be the same. Sometimes you need to come home and just go, I just need to move that. Just shift that. So I have ears to hear what God is saying to me. If you're taking notes, write this down. Eyes to see. Not just ears to hear. We need eyes to see. Lazarus, he heard Jesus. I, I tell you why Lazarus had ears. is because Jesus spoke and he heard. It's a miracle that he heard because he was dead, just in case you missed that in the passage. But when someone speaks, when God speaks, you have to be able to hear with your ears. But the sisters, they had eyes to see. The Bible says this in verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. How good is that? Smart. They had vision. They had eyes to see. When the scenario gets bad, you bring in the... Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. When you have a ghost with something weird in your neighborhood, you're going to ring Ghostbusters. But that's, that's, that's a bad early 90s movie. When stuff gets bad in your life, you need to call someone who can help. His name is Jesus Christ. When, when we were 20 weeks in the womb, when Ryder was 20 weeks in the womb, we were pregnant with Ryder, he, we went to the gender scan to see what he, you know, what he's going to be. We don't want the surprise, we want to know. And uh, too many surprises in life, let's know what we can know. And, uh, and we, had this, we had this, you know, in New Zealand, in prison, I've never been to prison, but I, I, I read this in the newspaper, in prison they have, they have LCD TVs, plasma TVs, in prison cells. Yeah, crazy. 32 inches, you know that? Labor government. And so, but, um, but in, 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 when you go to get a gender scan from in, in the, you know, kind of the, the wah, 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 whatever those are called, they have these, the oldest TVs alive that were on Noah's Ark are in these rooms where you pay money to find information out about your family. And we're up there and we see all this, we see this little, oh, there it is, hey, there he is, woo. Oh, and, and the lady says, oh, this, 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 see this little thing here, this little black mark. She says, I'm not sure, but it could be, so I'm just going to need to give me a minute. And she leaves the room. And we, when she came back, we said, what's the story? She said, look, I, it's not my area. I'm a specialist and stuff. We're going to talk and get you appointments. And we were like, whoa, pause, time out. Is there a problem? She says, there might be. We say, if there is a problem, what is the problem? She says, I don't know, but it might be a diaphragmatic hernia. Now, if you ever hear bad news from the medical profession, don't do what we did. Don't Google it, right? Don't Google it. Get a trusted medical profession. Get, get a, you know, a doctor, someone that you know, or get someone that you trust. Get them to tell you about it. We Googled it. First thing that comes up, diaphragmatic hernia mortality rate. The mortality rate of this particular problem was massive. So straight away we think our son's going to die. They said he had a 50-50 chance of survival. A diaphragmatic hernia, the word hernia means whole. Diaphragmatic is your diaphragm. Your diaphragm separates your major organs from your gut. So he had a hole so that as he was developing in the womb, Everything in the chest was getting crushed from the guts that were coming up through that hole. So the heart was in the wrong place. The lungs were so small they couldn't form. And when he was born, if you don't have lungs, you know, not even a life support can help someone that has no lungs. They say, well, like if, if he's born with no lungs, we can't help him breathe. But if he has capacity, we can help. So then we began to pray for lung capacity, began to pray, began to believe. When we left the hospital that day, I would like to say that we were full of faith. I would like to say that we invited Jesus in and he fixed everything. That's not the case. Like I said, first thing that we did, wrong decision. Google, diaphragmatic hernia, began to get all the dark pictures, worst case scenario about what would happen. Once we kind of chilled out and kind of just got our wits about us, called Pastor John and Jillian, our pastors, and began to tell them. We, we, we got together with the spiritual heavyweights of the church, the elders, 
They weren't called the elders, but that's what they were. We're going to pray. Nadi's in the room, we're all praying. It was quite, I think if you had seen a silent movie of what we were doing that night, it would have looked hilarious because we were all shouting at Nadi's tummy, you know? And it was like this, you know, and we're praying and believing and God turns up in the room. We didn't have vision in the initial stages, but after a few steps, we got vision enough to know what we should do next. And as we began to pray, and as we began to see God's healing hand, and a son now who's six years old, three major operations before he was one, fully healthy. In fact, the first thing I asked was, could he play rugby? And they said, yes. And they said, the only thing I wouldn't get him to do is deep sea diving. I thought, look, I'm cool with that. You know, that's, that's fine. That's, a good, that's, a, that's an easy trade-off. Right, are you never going to be the deep sea diving world record holder? Is that okay with you? Yeah, that's fine, Dad, as long as I can live. Amen. We didn't have vision at the start, but we got vision as the journey went on for the life of our son and began to make the right steps. Pastor John, our senior pastor, 13 years ago, planted a rise in 2002, and we started coming on the third week. In fact, I came on the third week. And then I said, Nani, you need to come with me on the fourth week because someone told me that it would be good if we went to different churches. Remember that? That's the worst advice ever. We were dating, and my friend was like, you need to go to different churches. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, fellas. I was like, man, that's the best advice. We need to do that. You know, so then, anyway, we, we flipped that on the, on the head, and now we're, you know, we're going to get all these years and stuff. And married for 10 years coming up January. How good is that? Really good. Thank you so much. I know it's tough, hard work. And so, you know, we, we all those years ago, though, for Nadia, all those years ago, Pastor John called Pastor Phil and said, I'm about to plant a church. What advice would you give to someone who's about to plant a church? And I won't tell you the advice that he gave. It was a private conversation between the two of them, but I could recite it to you exactly. He said one thing, then gave the advice, and then 10 years later gave him another three pieces of advice. The advice was brilliant, and the advice has worked. Pastor Phil, an incredible church planter, church builder, and great leader. One of the greatest leaders in the secular or the Christian world that you will ever see. But how good is the vision of, of a pastor, 29 years old, to take a step to build a relationship with Pastor Phil, to say, I'm about to plant a church, what would you do if you were me? The advice was brilliant, but can I, can I talk to you about the power of vision? Can I talk to you about having eyes to see? Can I talk to you about how when you see the future, you make good decisions? People make dumb decisions because they can't see the future. I remember once I had a, a youth leader come to our team and we, we decided to kind of initiate him to the team. And I was a young leader. I didn't know what I was doing. I made bad decisions when I had no vision. And so we tied him to a tree. And we covered his face in cream and we were throwing marshmallows, trying to see how many marshmallows we could get land on his face. And after a while we realized that the cream was too runny because it came out of the can. And then we just started throwing marshmallows at his face. He went pretty quiet. Once we untied him, he jumped in his car and drove off. And we never saw him again. I mean, I pray that he's still following Jesus. I really do. But that was the worst decision. How quiet has the room gone? <laughs> Everyone's like, this guy's the worst pastor. No, I probably am. But I was even worse back then. <laughs> when, you don't, when you don't see the future, you make, you make the worst decisions with your life. If you sat with someone, counseled them through something, talked with a friend through something, and in your head you're thinking, man, you're beautiful, you're, you're, you're handsome, you're brilliant, you're talented, your whole life is ahead of you, but you're acting like a dropkick. And you want to say that, and sometimes good friends do. But really, at the end of the day, the reason why they're acting the way that they are is because they have no vision for where they're going. The, the girls that they had eyes to see, they got Jesus in the room. A great story about a man, his name is Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl survived Auschwitz concentration camp. 
He comes to the end of the camp, survives, is taken care of, brought back medically to kind of just health, and he's given a, a, a not a sermon, but a, like a lesson. He's talking at a pulpit at a university to university students, about 1,500 students. And he begins to, he has his notes and steps up to the lectern and kind of steps back and looks up and says, I've never been here before. I've never seen you. I've never said these words. But in my heart, I've seen it a thousand times. So I've never been here. I've never, seen, I've never said these words. But in my heart, I have seen it a thousand times. That every day he woke up, it was vision that got him through. Every day when he was being beaten or starved, it was vision that got him through. The ability for us to see tomorrow can get us through today. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus had, if you've taken notes, I urge you to write this phrase down. No, I'm not going to start using that. That's a total ripoff. A heart for people. Ears is to hear. Got to put those on every day. Eyes to see. You need to have vision in your life every day. But like Jesus, he had those things, but man, the Lord, he has a heart for the people. He turns up. He says, hey, what's going on? Where's Lazarus at? He's dead. Okay, well, let's get, let's get busy. Let's go. Come on. Healing hands, jazz hands. Let's go to work. Bam, stone roll away. Bring him out. I mean, instantly, he's looking to bring the dead things back to life. He'll do the same thing this week in your life. And you turn up to President's Conference, and you'll be like, okay, let's go. And Jesus is there. Then let's go to work. Where's Lazarus at? Lazarus in your life was a dream that you've now shelved because you don't think you're up to it, don't think you can do it, you doubt yourself, self-esteem is a bit low, you think that you're on the shelf in God's eyes, so you shelve the dreams that he's given you. And Jesus says, all right, let's go. Where's the stone at? Where's the dream at? Let's go. Booyah. Let's bring Lazarus back from the dead, and all of a sudden in your life, dreams start to come back to life. Why? Because Jesus has a heart for his people. He's a God who loves you so, so very much. In fact, maybe the keyboardist will come and join me. If you're taking notes, write this down. The thing about Lazarus I love is this, is that he had faith in the rock more than he had faith in the stone. The thing about Jesus is Jesus has many names, doesn't he? The great redeemer, the alpha, the omega, the great shepherd. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the daily bread. I mean, Jesus is the rock of, the rock of ages. He's the rock, isn't he? The rock of ages. And the Bible says, you take me, the book of Psalms says, to a rock that is higher than I. Lazarus is in a tomb, a tomb, and a stone is rolled across that cave, and Jesus turns up, and he's the rock talking to a stone. I don't know if you've ever seen a rock or a stone, but usually a stone is smaller than a rock. In fact, a rock speaks of power. A rock speaks of size, and the stone is something in Jesus' eyes that is very small. And the rock turns up and says, this stone, be rolled away. He does the same thing in our lives. He turns up the rock of ages. I'm not a huge wrestling fan. But I do know a little bit about wrestling. You like wrestling? And the thing about wrestling is it's like people are, are, are acting, fighting. Either act or fight. Don't, don't do both at the same time. Like let's either do MMA or go to Hollywood, but don't try and do both in this ring. But it has a huge following, wrestling. A huge, huge, huge following. Some of the old wrestlers, Hulk Hogan, I was about worried. These are, some, these are some true wrestlers, people. Coco Beware, Superfly Jimmy Snooker. In the meantime, though, wrestlers like Dwayne The Rock Johnson have began to, began to make, make a name for themselves. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who was on the Fast and Furious kind of quadrilogy, whatever we call seven movies, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, if he was here right now, 
I mean, he's huge. I mean, he would take me down. Let's say he was here and I said, let's have a fight. The fight would be the quickest fight you've ever seen. He would squash me with his hands. If I'm a stone and he's the rock, the fight is over pretty quick. You know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he had some great phrases. Well, his name is The Rock, first of all. And he, he had a few nicknames. They call him The Great One. They call him The People's Champion. And he would turn up and he would say, and he would, he would begin to fight, begin to wrestle with people. He said, what's your name? And then they'd, they'd, they'd say their name. And he would say, it doesn't matter what your name is. He would say that. He would interrupt them all the time. He would say, it doesn't matter. He would say things like, finally, The Rock has come back. If he was in Civil War, he would say, finally, The Rock has come back to Silver water. You know, he, was just, he would do these crazy speeches. He, he'd say, he would say, it doesn't matter. He would, he, would, he, would, he would do this move called the rock bottom. That was his move, the rock bottom. He would do the, he would do the speech. He would, say, he would say, the rock's fans, the rock is here in front of the millions. And then the crowd would say, and millions. He would do that all the time. For the millions, and millions. He would do these phrases, the rock. The wrestling is one thing. Acting, fighting. But when Jesus turns up in your life and, and looks at the issues and the obstacles and the stones and the things that you face, he actually has the same level of bravado and confidence in himself to deal with the things in your life. And he will turn up. He, he will turn up. If your life is at rock bottom, Jesus would say it doesn't matter. Because God sent him to die on a cross for the millions. And the crowd would say, and millions. He would say, it doesn't matter what you're going through. He would say, the rock, Dwayne Johnson, he's the people's champion. But Jesus truly is. He is the people's champion. He is the rock of ages. And no matter in our lives what we face, major financial challenges, relationship breakdowns, whether health issues, whatever they might be in your life, when Jesus turns up, the rock, like Lazarus, we must have less faith in the stone and more faith in the rock that is Jesus. And maybe here tonight you're saying, Levi, that's, that sounds good, but I don't have relationship with the Rock of Ages. For me, he's a distant character. He's someone who I don't know personally. I'm not really into this religious stuff. You know what? Neither am I. Not into the religious stuff, but I'm into having a relationship with Jesus. You're here tonight, you're saying, I don't have that. I'd like to pray with you before we close so you can leave these, door, knowing, these doors tonight knowing that you have relationship with Jesus. Could we pray right now? Would you mind closing your eyes, every person? Would you maybe bow your head just out of a, out of a moment of privacy for every person who's here tonight? You're saying, you know what? I need Jesus. I'm away from Jesus. I, I don't know him. I've never had a relationship with him before. I, I'm distant from God. Two groups of people. One, you're saying, I used to. Now I'm away. The other group of people saying, I never have had relationship with him before. If you're in either one of those two groups of people, I'd love to pray with you right now before I hand back. If that's you, what I'd ask you to do in just a second is I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, I want to ask you to lift up your hand nice and high. As you lift up your hand nice and high, I'll see that hand. I'll acknowledge it. We'll pray this prayer tonight and believe that in that moment, your whole life can be turned around. If that's you tonight, as I count to three, throw your hand up so that I can see it. One, two, three. That's you right now. Throw your hand up at the back. See your hand. Fantastic. You can put it down once I've seen it. Yeah, another hand going up down here at the back. I see your hand. Fantastic. Others tonight, you're saying, yeah, I need Jesus tonight. I'm away from him. Don't know him. You're in one of those two groups of people saying, I've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Or you're saying, I once did, but I moved away. If that's you tonight, right now, join these people who have already lifted up their hands and throw your hand up right now so that I can see it. If that's you right now, before I close, 
Just so I know who I'm praying for. Throw your hand up so that I can see it right now. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to pray right now. If you lifted up your hand, I want you to pray this prayer from your heart. But I'd love for every single person to pray this prayer out loud with me together in support of these people who have already lifted up their hands. The prayer goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I, I thank you. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can look at me this evening. Can we put our hands together and celebrate? These people are saying yes to Jesus, making a decision to follow after him. I'm going to hand back in just a moment to Pastor Nan. And when, when I do that, she's going to give you a few more details about what we're going to do. But can I just say this? We really appreciate you, the decision that you've made tonight to say yes to him. Whether you're coming back into relationship with Jesus or it's the first time you've ever made that decision to follow him, you truly are tonight our VIP guest. We love you very much. One more time as I hand back. Can we put our hands together for these people tonight? Amen. Come on, church. Let's honor Pastor Levi. A great word for Silverwater tonight. Magnificent. Awesome word. And if you did.